This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. our second week in a new series of conversations we're going to be having over the next few weeks on hope. So we're starting a new series called Hope is Alive. And the reason we're having this uh, series of conversations is as we look at the world around us, we have been um, just overwhelmed by the stories, the friends and family that we know that have so many reasons not to hope. There's so many things in life that can rob hope and that turn you into what you would call as a, a realist, but really you're just a pessimist, right? You just think like nothing's going to work out, and, and it happens to all of us um, if we're not careful. But what's interesting is hope is not just uh, a cute word. It's not just kind of this nice concept. It's actually a foundation of our faith. You see, when Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, he talks about how there's three things that will last, three things that are foundational, and it's faith, hope, and love. And I think if we talk about faith and love, there would be no one uh, who would claim to be a follower of Jesus who wouldn't say that those two things are pillars. But hope almost seems to be optional, right? But for, for the scriptures, hope isn't optional. It's as essential as love. It's as essential as faith. And so when people look at your life, it doesn't mean that suffering is absent. It doesn't mean that you always have to um, be kind of a, a glass half full type of guy or girl. But what it means is in the midst of suffering, you have a hope that can't be taken from you. There's a hope that exists inside of you that is stronger and more prevalent than any circumstance that comes your way. And so the goal over this next few weeks is to figure out how do we have hope in our heart when our world tries to convince us that it's not worth hoping for. And so what we have to do is turn our gaze and the direction of our heart towards something new to hope in, and ultimately that's Jesus. And so we're going to be doing that by looking at this letter called Ephesians. It's a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, giving them instruction on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a church, just like we are. And he does it in a very systematic way. He breaks it up into two sections. I love mapping and symmetry. I love Ephesians. The first three chapters are all about grace. It's all about what God has done for you. And the last half of the chapter is our response to it. How do we live out peace? How do we live out love? How do we imitate God? And so we're, since we're in just the beginning, we're really focusing, this has very little to do with what we are to do, and has a lot to do with what God already has done, and what God is doing in us, because that's the foundation of hope. Because if our foundation of hope is our circumstances, our performance, our abilities, and our achievements, then your hope will run out. It'll be shaken. But if your hope is founded in something deeper, then it'll last no matter what happens in your life. So let me give you just kind of an, an imagery that for me just became so real. So on July 2nd of this year um, was a big moment in our house. Um, and it was a big moment in the house of, of, of living rooms around the world when we discovered that uh, 12 young boys in Thailand uh, who had been trapped in a cave for 9 to 10 days had been found. You guys follow this story? 
I mean, it's all over the news, right? It just started climbing up to the moment. It was the headlines all around the world. People were watching, will these boys be found? Will they be discovered? And every day that went by, their likelihood of surviving diminished. And all of a sudden, we woke up in the morning and we opened up our phone and we saw on July 2nd that every single boy and their coach was found and alive. I mean, there's literally jubilation in our house. We're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. You just, you, you long for stories like that, right? Like, oh, if it worked out, right? Like, it, my, my hope that it would work out didn't leave me um, disappointed, but it actually was fulfilled. But something happened as I was unraveling the story is that even though they were found on July 2nd, they did not exit the cave for days later. And as I was kind of following this journey and Jen kind of fill me in as things as she would find out in here, I began to realize that that's, it's a little bit of a picture of where we are in this world. That for those of us who have met Jesus, we've been found. We've been met where we're at in our darkness, as lost as we could be, not knowing a way out, we were found. And at the same time, there is something ahead of us we haven't achieved yet, we haven't gone to yet, right, called, called heaven, that we're longing for, and we're in this between time that theologians call the now and the not yet, that the kingdom of God is here and it's coming still. And this is where hope exists. So I want to read you the dialogue that happened between the rescuers and the boys. And I just think the wording here is just so profound. So if you can just imagine yourself, you've been in a cave where you don't know if you're going to be found. It's been 10 days. You're a mile and a half deep into this dark cave. No sign of light at all. And all of a sudden, they hear a noise and the boys scream out, Hey, you! Thank you! Thank you! The rescuer responds, how many of you? A boy responds, 13. The rescuer, 13, brilliant. The boy, yeah, yeah, we, we going today? Rescuer, not today, not today. It's two of us. You have to tell them we are coming. It's okay. Many people are coming. We are the first. A boy asks, what is today? The rescuer responded, what day is it now? Monday. Monday, you have been here 10 days days. You are very strong, very strong. Okay, get back. We come, we come. The boy responds, we are hungry. Rescuer, I know, I know, I understand. We come, okay, we come. The boys, tell them we are hungry. Another boy, they said they know. The rescuer, we come, we come. Boy, we haven't eaten. This is all in Thai. We have to eat, eat, eat. Boy, I already told them. And rescuer, Navy SEAL will come tomorrow with food and doctors and everything. And the boy shouted, I'm very happy. What a life-changing conversation. Moment for those boys who never thought they'd find out. And for us sitting in this room, that's so many of our lives. Will we get out? What is this life? The disorientation that happens when you live in darkness so long, it may not be a physical darkness, but maybe it's a spiritual darkness or an emotional darkness, and you just stop feeling of even what reality is. And then Jesus shows up, and he brings reality. No, no, no. We're coming for you, right? And so when Jesus showed up 
on the cross, when he showed up in our lives, is this moment where we found at the same time, we're still in the midst of a broken world. There's still darkness all around us. But I love the story that there's help on the way. And so they brought in food and water and medical supplies. They brought in the things that they needed to keep the boys alive. And a few days later, they brought them out in this journey. And I was, and was thinking about this. And in that moment, what changed for the boys, more than anything, was hope. And we're the same. Right? There's something that should exist within us because we've been rescued by Jesus that no matter how long this world seems like it's going to take and no matter how long we crave for the heavenly meal, right, the restoration of all things, we have Jesus who's already rescued us. And so Paul talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians, our theme verse throughout this series. is in Ephesians 1.18. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, right? The eyes of your heart would be woken to the, the reality of this. He says, enlightened in order that they may know hope. That's his prayer for this church. I pray your, the eyes of your heart will be open to hope. To which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and his incom, incomparable great power for us who believe. I, I love this because Paul immediately lays out, I'm praying your eyes are opened up to hope. Here's why. There's an inheritance coming. And there's a power present right now. And so as those boys were coming, what did they hear? There's an inherit, there's something coming. Light, food, family, it's coming. But we have things for you right now. But here's the difference of that story. Yes, we have an inheritance. Yes, we have a coming. But we're not just given protein gel packets and a water bottle. We were given the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That changes how we live. It changes the amount of hope that we have to live out our todays, no matter how bleak they may seem, is that we have the ability to, to not only claim the inheritance that someday it's going to happen, but today it says that you have been given power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. I don't know of a single moment in human history that had more power in it than that. And that power is available to you, not in heaven, but right now. That is the fuel that gives us hope, not just for the someday. That's part of it. But there's something here, right now, tonight, in this room, that's available to every single one of us through Jesus, through the rescuer. And all we have to do is receive that. And so tonight, we're going to be diving further into the chapter Last week, we, we opened up with Paul's greeting in the letter and who he was, and he gives them this greeting, grace and peace, powerful words. I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast um, because those two words are so important. And matter of fact, it actually kind of maps out the thing. The first three chapters about grace, the last three chapters are about how to live out peace. But then he goes in and has this brilliant introduction. Um, verses 3 through 14 are one is one sentence. It doesn't look like it in our Bibles, but in the Greek, in the original language, Paul is actually writing one long run-on sentence. Right? This is every English teacher's nightmare, except for the fact that he does it perfectly. 
Um, there have been people who study Greek and study ancient languages who look at this and they literally say it is a, liter- a literary masterpiece. It's almost as if God helped him, right? That's a joke. He did. <laughs> You're like, oh. So let's read this sentence that will take us about five minutes. And as we're doing this, we're going to unpack this week by week because it's so rich and so profound. We're just going to get to the first couple lines tonight. But let's read this together. And as we do this, you can open up your Bible. I'm going to be reading out of uh, a certain translation called the NIV. Um, you might have something that's a little bit different. That's totally okay. Um, whenever you translate something from a different language, there's going to be different variations. But our goal and the reason why we take our time is we want to know what it always was intended to mean which is why we go slowly through these things. And so if you're there, Ephesians chapter 1, it's towards the end of your Bible. It's a little letter, there's about six chapters in it. We're going to start in verse 3. And stick with me, it's a little long. It's one sentence though, so I want you to try and track the incredible, profound message Paul's getting across to the church. Here's what he says. Praise or blessing be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance for the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ Jesus to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There's that moment of something's coming, right? It's fulfillment. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity for the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Woo! Man, not bad. I mean, we could go home right now. There's so much in there. It doesn't really take me having to preach, right? Because God's word preaches. So powerful. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to take just a a quick look because we're going to be getting over to the beach for baptisms in a little bit. We're just going to take a look at um, the first few lines of this. And there's just two words we're going to be looking at. Last week we talked about grace and peace. Tonight we're going to be talking about blessed and chosen. Blessed and chosen. So, this word blessed in the Greek is eulogio. It's where you get our word eulogy from. And it's this word blessed or blessing. 
And Paul, in his opening line, uses it three times in a row. Now, for us, it might just sound redundant, but for a Greek or a Greco-Roman, a Judean listener, there is an intent behind repetition, and it was to grab your attention and to focus you. And so for Paul to open up using that word, eulogio, three times, he's trying to make a point. Is Listen, grace and peace, it looks like this. It begins like this. It begins with the concept and the idea of eulogio, blessing, of being blessed. But he, he lays it out in this really incredible way. So he opens it up by saying, Blessed, eulogio be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This would not have shocked his audience at all. A matter of fact, it's a very common statement. Blessed, blessing to God. Bless God, bless Yahweh. Right, it's this very common understanding that if you were, um, if you were any sort of the kind of a Judeo-Christian background, this is what you expected. You, of course, you would bless God because he's the creator of the heavens and the earth, right? He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He's all-powerful. He's the, he- the Lord of heavenly hosts. I mean, he's, there is nothing we could ever do that doesn't deserve to go back to him. He deserves all the blessings. Now, that may be foreign in our culture, but for them, that would have been common. Like, of course, now, we do need to stop there because we have to understand everything we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about some very personal things, relational things, intimate things that God does. But let's remember, everything gets tied back not to our glory, but His. But it begins with this idea of blessing, eulogio, to God our Father. But the next line is where it gets um, really shocking to His listeners. It says, blessed be to God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has eulogioed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual eulogio. So this God deserves all the blessing and deserves all the praise, takes it, and he blesses us. But here's the crazy thing, with every spiritual blessing. And this for his audience and for us today is absolutely unnerving if you just take a moment and think about the amount of blessing that God deserves, which he says he's turning back blessing to us, and not just some of it, but every blessing, but here's the hinge pin, through Christ. That because of what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection, the blessing that he deserves and has earned and has paid for is not just hoarded within himself, but is lavished and poured back on us. You are blessed. When we are in Christ, when we are connected to Jesus, apart from anything you do, anything that you think is good or deserving in you, apart from all of that, simply being connected to Jesus means you are connected to every single spiritual blessing that is, belongs to God in the first place. How wild is that? So I don't know if there's any sports fans in the room, but um, I, I love watching, uh, I love sports, I love watching basketball and, and different things. And so this week, uh, all over social media and the news, um, and you probably have seen it if you follow that, was this picture, this image of LeBron James making this announcement, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Making this announcement that he is starting a school in, in Akron, the town that he grew up in, the inner city, and he lays out this plan where he's going to give every single student um, free uniforms, 
Um, they'll get free rides to school. They get free food and lunches and snacks that are healthy. They're going to get a free bicycle. And, get, and you're reading this, and America erupted with applause. And can I tell you, they should. What an amazing thing. Despite what you think about him as a basketball player, what a great move as a human being. And some of you guys just can't get beyond the basketball thing, but listen. But the world received that, and, and, and here's why. There's something that catches our attention when someone who's blessed starts blessing others. We can't, we can't get enough of it. And so here's LeBron, who's arguably one of the most athletic people in our current world that we've ever seen play any sport, and he's blessed because of it, right? His paychecks and his popularity and his influence and his power. Blessings have come to him because of his ability and because of his athletic worth. But he's decided in that moment, as like, I'm going to take that and I'm going to go and bless people where I came from. And I'm going to make sure they have more opportunity than I had. And everyone's like, that's amazing because there's something inside of that that's incredible. But let's just take for a second, not to take away from LeBron James... But what happens if not just the best basketball player, but what happens if the creator of the universe? Think of all the blessings that LeBron gets. Think about all the blessing that God deserves. And rather than giving these students the amazing gift of a new school, he gave us the amazing gift of his son. And along with his son comes every single blessing that he has earned as well. And again, let's applaud and praise people for making generous giving decisions. But let us not forget that that will never be outdone by what God has done. What God has done for us through Jesus is staggering. We didn't earn it. We haven't, we haven't deserved that at all. We are blessed. And Paul, in the following <laughs> however many lines of that sentence is, lays out what this looks like. This is what it looks like for the one who deserves all the blessing to have given us the blessing. And the very first thing he lays out so brilliantly. He says this, for he chose us. This is huge. For us to understand what it means to be blessed, it begins with our understanding of what it means to be chosen by him. Who chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. And what that means is apart from any accomplishment, any performance, any merit, any ethic that we could ever bring to the table before we were ever even a thought, he looked at us through his heart of blessing others and said, I want them. I want him. I want her. I want you. I choose you. And the reason why this is profound is every single one of us, I, I can almost guarantee it, has a memory as a child where you're lined up on the kickball court, right? You're lined up and all of a sudden they start picking, right? They start picking teams and you're just like, dear God, Please don't let me be last. Is there anything more horrifying as a child than being picked last? Like I, li I, have, 
I have memories of just being like, as like a, a first grade boy and being like, you just picked Susie Johnson and it's over me? Come on. And like just horrified, like I'm, this is it. I'm done. My career as a first grader is over after this moment. I have a hunch though that as much as we're like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's so crazy when we were kids, we still play that game today, don't we? We play it with our relationships, with our careers, with our aspirations and our education. We play it with our kids and our spouse. We, we, it's this constant social game of I want to feel picked. I want to feel chosen. I want to feel like I belong. And there's something deep within the human fabric of our being at a soul level that longs to belong and longs to be chosen. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul, understood this, says, listen, let's just begin this idea of blessing with this concept, you were chosen. You were picked. Before you did a thing, before you lifted a finger, he chose you. This, this word in the Greek is absolutely stunning. It means to favor above the rest. Which is a really hard concept to think about because the word you hear is plural. So he's talking to a community. You, all of us, you were chosen and at the same time carries with it this individualistic sensation of, but you're the favorite. It's this beautiful, intricate word of you're chosen, your favorite. Jen and I do this game all the time with our kids. Every single one of our kids knows that they're our favorite because we tell them all the time. So you're our favorite. She's like, I know. Okay, good. Jubilee, you're our favorite. I know. Augustine, you're our favorite. Duh, duh. He's like, right, he's two. But all of our kids, all the time, we'll take them out on a date or we'll hang out with them. And we let them know. Do we love all of our kids? Absolutely. But we want every one of our kids to know you are ours on purpose. Vienna's name, she's our, she's our third born. And when we found out we were having a third girl, immediately we were bombarded with this question. Oh, are you bummed it's not a son? And I just slapped people for saying that. I just said, no, I'm not bummed. So... But what I found is as we're looking for names, we had this book that had like name meanings and next we had the spiritual connotation. We came across Vienna and we were reading its name meaning, which was cool, and its spiritual connotation according to this book was it means chosen. And we looked at each other like, this is it. We weren't hoping for a son and we're settling for you. You're chosen. We wanted Vienna. You're ours. So we don't want a day in her life to ever go by for her to forget she's chosen. We're glad that she is our daughter. And I think every single one of us longs to hear those words, longs for that reality of what it means to be chosen. This word chosen is used in another part of the New Testament. And it's this moment when Jesus is on top of a mountain. And he's brought three of his closest friends with him. And he decides to do a little trick. And he decides to show him his divinity. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. So these guys have been hanging with Jesus for the past few years, just knowing him as little rabbi from Nazareth, right? 
beard, scruffy, all of a sudden they're brought up to this mountain and it says that Jesus transforms into his heavenly glory and they are overwhelmed. And as this is happening, as they're seeing this rabbi they've been following in all of his glory and divinity, it says a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. The same word that God would use over his divine son on the Mount of Transfiguration is spoken over you tonight. You are chosen. He didn't choose to give you a different word. He's like, I, Jesus is my favorite, but I like you. And John 16 is one of the hardest verses for me to understand when it says that they would understand that they, you love them with the same love that you loved me. Did you realize this? Let me just give you something, get your brain spinning a little bit tonight. Do you know God loves you? The Father loves you with the same love he loves Jesus with. Don't for a second think that you are a second class being because of your past, your brokenness, your inabilities, your choices, your will. No, 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 no. God knew all of that before the foundation of the world, and he still chose you. Oh, it makes me want to worship. It makes me want to just thank God. It makes me just like, I don't, when the songs are singing, right, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. Still, you give your love away. I can't be the same if I just take a few minutes and just think about it. And I, and I don't want to be the same. I'm tired. I'm trying to hear other people say that they choose me. I'm tired of the world telling me that I've achieved something or I'm successful. I just need to hear it from my dad in heaven. And my prayer is that that would be enough for me. My prayer is that would be enough for you. And that that would be your first step in understanding hope. Understanding what it means to be blessed doesn't look like you getting the new car that's coming out for free and just drops in you. No, 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 no. That is a horrible comparison to the beauty and the profound mystery of being chosen by your heavenly Father. That will never go away. Would you bow your heads with me? There's two, there's two, um, hopes in my heart, the two goals in my heart that I hope we achieve. The first one is what I've just talked about, that we would have the eyes of our heart enlightened to understand hope, to understand what it means to be blessed and chosen by God. And we'll pray for that in a minute, but here's my second thing as we just bow our heads. If we skip ahead to chapter four, there's a really profound moment where it says that our response to everything we're learning, everything we're gonna learn is that we would then be imitators of this kind of God. So you listen up, church. The goal is not for you just to know you're blessed, just to feel chosen, but we are to go and be a blessing and to be a people who choose others who the world has not chosen. 
to welcome them to our tables, to welcome them to, into our families, to say, you belong here. Father, we just ask tonight that we would come again <laughs> with nothing in our hands and let you speak over us. We are blessed in Jesus. Lord, would we hear you whisper to our hearts tonight that you have chosen us. You favor us. You want us. You don't just love us. You like us. Help us understand that and grasp that at a core level. And Lord, I pray that you would then let us be people who bless and choose, who give away, Lord, who draw in. Let us imitate you in the blessing and the choosing that you've shown us. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, before you leave tonight, um, we're gonna have some friends up here in the front who are willing to pray for you, would love to pray for you. If there's something that you heard tonight, um, or something going on in your life, we'd love to just stand with you in that journey with you. Um, tonight, if you heard something that's brand new and you are wanting to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and to know more about this God, you can check the box on your Connect card. Um, you can send us an email um, to our website. Um, tell your friend who you came with. Come tell me. We want to celebrate you. Um, right after this, we're going to ask you guys. We're not going to clean up in here. We're just going to go down to Moonlight Beach, and we're going to celebrate with people, and they're going to get baptized. And there might even be people in this room tonight, and you weren't planning on getting baptized. You're wearing jeans. And you're just like, I need to make a, a decisive moment where I identify with Christ's death and resurrection. That's what baptism is, is you dying to your old self, coming alive in Jesus. And we all get to celebrate it with you. There's some of you in the room tonight that are doing that. My daughter, my seven-year-old daughter is doing it tonight. So super pumped for that. Um, so uh, if you would like to do that, please just come join us. And all of us, I hope, I hope there's tons of us down at the beach tonight celebrating those who made that decision. And I hope there's some of you tonight who aren't planning on it and you're like, you know what, that's me. I need to make that next step in my faith. Um, couple other things. Um, can we put up a, that picture of William uh, Lucas? Uh, some of you guys know William. Uh, he's around the church. He does a ton of work, cleans up, keeps the facilities nice, um, has had some hard times in the past few years, but is in a really good spot right now. And he went to the hospital on Wednesday, and he's still there. Um, and there's an infection in his back, and he's going to be going into surgery tomorrow. Um, and so I was with him this morning, and he said, would you, um, he said, would you have Light Church pray for me? I said, absolutely. And so we, I took his picture, and he, he let me, <laughs> he looks very happy there, but uh, <laughs> wanted me to show this, just in case you didn't know who William was. He's a part of our family here. So I just want to take a moment and just pray for William, um, and just that God would just touch his body and heal him. And just so you guys know, Light Church, um, a few hours ago, I was sitting with him, and he was sobbing because of how loved he's felt by the people here. And I was getting ready for tonight's sermon, and I'm like, Lord, thank you that we live in a community who knows how to bless and choose people. Welcome them in. So thank you, guys. Let's pray for William. Lord, we thank you so much for the, the gift 
of people in this church. We thank you specifically for William tonight. And we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would touch his body. Um, God, we see you again and again in scriptures heal people miraculously. And we thank you for doctors and medicine. But Lord, even now tonight as he waits, would you be touching his body, Lord? And that as the doctors go in tomorrow, that they would be astonished by the work you already got started on. Uh, bless William's heart, Lord. I know this is, he's had a lonely few years and he's been so overwhelmed by feeling loved and accepted. Would that just continue um, by our community and the people around him? Would bless him, Lord Jesus. Would he know that he's chosen? Would he know your healing power tonight, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last thing, you guys, if you're um, wanting to uh, worship the Lord through your giving and through your tithe, there's a few ways you guys can do that. There's a generosity box in the back. You can grab an envelope and um, everything that you're giving, we keep track of, and, and you get a record of that at the end of the year. Um, you can go online um, or you can text a number. I just want to thank you guys so much for your generosity. It, it allows us to continue not to... Um, build this, but build through this. The, the community, the city, the world around us that desperately needs the kingdom of God. So thank you guys for doing that. But other than that, we love you guys. We'll see you down at Moonlight Beach right now. And I uh, hope you guys join us. We'll see you guys down there in a little bit.